Hello, hello. I am Karen Jean-François, and this is the Women in Data podcast, a podcast where every other week I interview some of the most inspiring women working in data. They discuss how data is used in various industries, share their knowledge and experience in the field, and equip you with tips to help you overcome challenges on your career and feel great. Let's get straight to it. I am joined today by Tori Tompkins, Senior Data Science Consultant at Advancing Analytics and founder of Girls Code 2, a platform she runs in collaboration with Girls in Data to create curriculums to inspire the next generation of tech professionals. In this episode, Tori starts by talking about her training in forensic computing and how that led her to data science and machine learning. You will then hear about the work she does with Girls Code 2 and Girls in Data, and will find her tips on how to sustain a side hustle or give back to the community while working full-time. Throughout the conversation, you can feel Tori's passion to the cause, and I hope you will find her as inspiring as I did. Hey, Tori, welcome to the Women in Data podcast. It's a pleasure to have you with me today. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. I have heard so much about you before we first connected. So, you know, it's like when you hang out in the same circle, but you never actually met each other. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. I'm just like, oh, Tori, 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 she's amazing. You have to meet her. <laughs> and then we met and I was like, I need to bring you to the podcast. So here we are. And I, I can't wait for the conversation we're going to have. Thank you. Thank you very much. Before we get into today's topic, I mean, there is so much I wanted to chat with you about, but <laughs> we had to to narrow it down. But before we get to today's topic, can I invite you to introduce yourself? Yes, yes, I can. So uh, I'm Tori Tompkins. I'm a senior data science consultant at a consultancy called Advancing Analytics. My main kind of responsibility or focus is around MLOps. So taking data science models that clients have created and deploying them into the cloud for real-time scoring or batch scoring um, with all the fun stuff that comes with monitoring and fairness and things like that. Yeah, and outside of my day job, I, I have a couple of other things. So I started an initiative called Girls Code 2, maybe about three years ago, where I created lesson plans and hosted those on a website for people to go and visit schools. Um, and then because of this, I work very closely with Girls in Data, uh, where we've done a very similar thing. Uh, and then also I do some of my own podcasting in my spare time as well. So with two colleagues, we have a podcast called Totally Skewed, which is about data and AI. So we were talking about your podcast just before we started recording and I was like, oh, send me the link. But now that you've mentioned it, the names rings a bell. So I feel like I have been in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. I think we don't do a good enough job of marketing it. So maybe I'll tick a box and say that mentioning it here is a good enough marketing. It is. <laughs> it is. So you mentioned a, few, uh, a bit of the work that you do around Girls Code 2 and Women in Data, so helping people going to schools and then sharing all, all their knowledge and stuff. But that's something we're definitely going to talk about. Yeah. But yeah, there is something else I wanted to touch on before, and it is on in the beginning of your career and then how you transition into data. Because before getting into data, you were working in forensic computing. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. 
I want to know what that is. <laughs> um, it's a really fun topic to talk about. And it basically, so it started when I wanted uh, to go to university and I, I knew that I wanted to do computer science, but I didn't know what else I wanted to do. And I, so the local university to me is University of Portsmouth. And I've since found out they're one of the few that actually offer this course, which is really exciting. Um, which is for forensic computing, which is now called forensic computing and cybersecurity. Yeah, and I've always described it as a a fancy way to learn how to hack because I feel like that's what I did for three years. Uh, it was mostly like generic computer science stuff because you need to know that background, but it was also learning about how data is stored on different technologies. Um, I had to learn assembly code in order to read malware and work out what malware does. And there was also quite a lot of cybersecurity involved in that, which I found super fun. And then another good thing, I'm plugging Portsmouth here, and I didn't mean to, but University of Portsmouth have a partnership with the Hampshire Constabulary High Tech Crime Unit, which meant I got to do a three-month internship with their phone examination unit. So I also got to spend three months working on real cases around extracting data from different phones, which was pretty cool as well. <laughs> so when you say extracting data from different phones, what, what exactly did that entail? So there was like lots of tools and tricks that they had. Uh, the main one, I think, oh, looking back at it now, I think it was like XY or RX or something. And you would set this kind of tool up and it did most of the work for you, to be honest. And it would extract things like text messages, images, location data even stuff on that they deleted before which is really exciting so basically everything that you've done on your phone we could see yeah so you're saying exciting i'm finding it scary what were they doing, <laughs> what were they doing with that data <laughs> well it was for the the police really so it okay. wasn't gonna hopefully be used for anything but prosecution so Right. So you, you've done a lot of work around that. So for police, but also you did some work at EY as well around that type of thing. Yeah. So kind of, so we do an industrial placement, which is like a year's internship between your second and third year of your bachelor degree. And I did mine with Ernst & Young's e-discovery department. Um, and I'd never heard of e-discovery before I went. And I, every time I talk to someone, they also don't know what e-discovery is. But it's basically a field of forensics in which you are analyzing data to prepare for court. Imagine that you are doing an investigation on something and you've extracted all the emails from the last six years off of 100 laptops. You're not going to be able to look through all of those emails. So the kind of e-discovery department is responsible for analyzing those and presenting them to the lawyers to then present and use at court. I was a big fan of how to get away with murder and you, <laughs> and you have all the, all the students who are going to go and go through all the papers and read everything. This is not what happens, right? So now you have the, the algorithm going through them and then selecting the different. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> That's good to know. I can see. So from what you described, you mentioned a lot of data in here so yeah. you were not doing any data science you were mainly extracting data I guess maybe building algorithms or working with algorithms to but building algorithms is data science so yeah. was that yeah. your introduction to data science pretty much I think I mean throughout the forensics course there were I was touching upon some data but I don't I don't think it really clicked to me until I worked with the e-discovery department uh, just how closely they were linked one of my favorite projects that I did on 
uh, at EY was we were analyzing phone calls. So we had thousands of hours of audio data that like lawyers didn't want to or just couldn't sit through. So we did some audio recognition to extract keywords in order to highlight where lawyers should pay attention. And I think that was the moment that I fell in love with data. So when I returned to university, I I almost had to argue to change some of my modules to be data courses because they weren't originally on the curriculum. So I did some data science and data warehousing courses because I I think I decided at that point that was what I wanted to graduate into. And then I also, I kind of dedicated my thesis towards some data analysis as well. So my thesis was on like a social network analysis of darknet forums, which I always think sounds very cool, but it isn't as cool as it sounds. But I essentially scraped loads of data from forums on the darknet and then used graph theory and social network analysis techniques to identify who were the ringleaders, who authorities should focus on if they wanted to take the darknet forum offline, which I found massively interesting. And I kind of used that to get a data job when I first left university. This is actually really cool. <laughs> I, I spent so much time in business. Well, I mean, most of my career really. And just seeing that's a whole different world that you're describing out there of how people are using data, which is amazing. I love it. And you know how you were describing the fact that you were building algorithms to go through conversations that lawyers couldn't sit and listen to the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so you were highlighting keywords and key sections. And I had an, an episode, I think that was last year, talking about AI and NLP for podcasting, <laughs> which was quite, quite interesting. So that was episode 57. And Gelare, who was my, my guest, she was talking about something very similar that's being used for podcasting. And I'm thinking, yeah. oh, no, they can just go and take whatever the lawyers are using and putting that into the podcasting industry. That's, <laughs> that's quite cool. <laughs> I guess there yeah. were quite a few transferable skills in, in these two areas that enabled you then to go and, and get your role in ML. Yeah, I think so. I I think the main thing that I, you know, I didn't realize until recently that I'd kind of learned through forensics was that they foster this kind of culture of curiosity, like you explore everything and you look into everything. And I think that's something that I have taken to every job since I've left. Kind of that always be curious focus. And also around, so I mentioned that we did uh, assembly code at malware forensic course, which is basically like reverse engineering how malware would react on your computer. I think that's taught me to read code really well. I feel like I find reading other people's code easier than other people do (laughs) sometimes, which I think has given me a massive leg up when it comes to programming. Python was used massively at university as well, which, as you know, is probably the language of data science now. So yeah, so there was a huge amount of overlap. Yeah. And your first job was actually as you're working with, is this your first job still? So my first job, I graduated into a consultancy called Adatis. And I did that for about a year. And then two of my colleagues left to start their own business. Uh, and I moved across a year later, which is where I am now, which is Advancing Analytics. And then yeah. so when you, you moved there, so basically your colleagues went to yeah. create this organization that was very, very new and you joined them. Did then Was that scary? I mean, it, it's a company that's not established and you're just starting in your car. How did you feel? That's a really brave move to, <laughs> to, to do, I must say. How, how did it feel? Um, yeah, I don't think I ever really, I wish I could say I really thought about it. And I did a bit. 
But I don't think I ever really considered it as massively risky or massively brave for me to do, I think. So I'd worked with both of my colleagues before. I knew them. I had massive respect for them. They're massively respected in the field and they had a vision that I I believed in. So for me, it was never that risky. But I was also in a really lucky position that I was a year out of university I'd just moved into my parents to save for a home. So in my head, if I was going to make this move at any point in my career, now was the perfect time. Mm. Yeah, so I did. Yeah, I mean, I know for you, it didn't feel brave, but I am. <laughs> oh, I'm just like, oh. <laughs> um, and then just moving on to talk about the work that you're doing on the side with Girls in Data, but also Girls Code 2. Yeah. Um, so this is something that for you helping people helping young individuals understand what's out there for them in technology and in data is is quite an important thing so how did you start this really so I started this straight out of university I think so when I graduated into my first role I quickly became quite frustrated by the lack of gender diversity in my team and I, I kind of channeled that frustration into going out and visiting schools so I'd pick local schools I created lessons and I took colleagues along with me most of the time to go and visit schools and deliver these lessons at schools. So that was kind of like a passion project for me. And it wasn't until I was talking with other women about the stuff I was doing and they were really interested in it. And it was something that they wanted to do too, but there's like a huge amount of overhead in creating these lesson plans. So that kind of inspired me to start Girls Code 2, uh, which is just a website where I uploaded all of my lesson plans maybe some tips and tricks it was kind of left there for that was as kind of as far as I could take it on my own I didn't have a huge amount of connections to take that any further and it wasn't until I was talking to Roisin uh, at Women in Data and she mentioned Girls in Data and I ended up working with Claire and Zara and Ella and Ruth and we've kind of taken my lesson plans from Girls Co. 2 and added a huge amount more create what was announced at the WID flagship event mm. um, which is our first school curriculum that hopefully we've got about 500 signups uh, interested in delivering this so hopefully it's going to be everywhere. I remember your stand at Women in Data being overcrowded. <laughs> uh, I wanted to come and say hi but I remember you being busy all the time so you're saying that 500 women have volunteered to go and deliver lessons in schools yep yep and maybe just a bit of proof of how we didn't expect this is that we had a pad of paper on the desk for people to write their emails down because we weren't expecting that many emails so <laughs> in hindsight maybe we should have set up an ipod uh, an ipad to to get people's email addresses so we didn't have to type them all in i think that just goes to show kind of that people really want to deliver this we'd really want to deliver this but yeah we just weren't expecting that kind of response oh this is amazing <laughs> and and that's exactly why i i wanted to talk about this so grazing data is not the topic of this episode but it's, it's really great to see this so i'm going to run another episode with claire where we're going to go deeper into girls in data and what you're trying to do so it's really good to see this because i had after the conference i hadn't realized what had happened on on that <laughs> space it's amazing but 
What I want to know is really, so you know, you you mentioned this thing around creating the curriculum is very time consuming and you have all these people out there who want to help, who want to support, but might not have the mind space to do these things. So very often I have people coming to me and ask, but how can I support the community? How can I help um, other people in data? I want to do more public speaking. I want to do some mentoring, etc. But I'm struggling to understand how to start and I'm struggling to find the time to do it and how to make it work because this does require quite a lot of dedication. So with everything that you do, I I just wanted for you to share your best tips on that. So if we could maybe start with how you manage to balance working full-time in consulting, which we know consulting can get quite (laughs) intense sometimes, and having this massive side project that is making so much difference. Not perfectly all the time, I have to say. I also want to maybe caveat this by saying I don't have a huge amount of responsibilities outside of work. I don't have children. I don't have anyone to care for. So I think I've automatically got this bonus of having a little bit more spare time than maybe most people do. So please don't compare yourself to me if that's the case. (laughs) But yeah, I think I've just learned some things along the way. I think the main tip that I have which I still suffer from now, is that I've, I kind of had to give up on this idea of being perfect. And by this, I mean, when I first started Girls Co. 2, when I first started the podcast, uh, Totally Skewed, that everything had to be perfect. I <laughs> I think I remember from my first podcast, I spent hours editing out every time I said the word um, because I was, <laughs> I was so embarrassed by that. So, and that just took so long and it would eventually have put me off doing the project altogether. So I think my main tip is that you like you may want to get something perfect, but good is good enough. Like lots of little good consistent work will be better than one piece of perfect, I think. I can I can relate to that. <laughs> The first few podcast episodes I edited where it took me maybe five hours for each episode. (laughs) (laughs) Half an hour episode, five hours to edit it. We're better now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, and it's just not sustainable putting that amount of time into something. Yeah, so the temptation might be there, but just just put out something. It doesn't have to be perfect. And I guess my second tip is that to do things that, like to prioritize the things that you do for stuff that fulfills you. I can think of loads of side projects that I've just started and not finished because they just they just weren't right. I think one example of this is I was inspired to start a really great data science blog. I wanted to blog once a week. I wanted to have a newsletter and it just wasn't it wasn't the time for it. I was doing the Girls Code 2 stuff and the GID stuff. I was doing uh, the podcast as well. And I just, I wasn't getting the same fulfillment from writing blogs as I was the other stuff. So I ended up just putting that on pause. And it's hard not to think of that as a failure, but rather than just, it's a reprioritization of doing the stuff and the side projects that I find fulfilling, because I know in the long run that, that I'm going to keep those up and I wouldn't have kept the blog up. Yeah, I can relate to so much to <laughs> of what you're saying right now. I feel like we we had a similar journey. So same with me. 
podcast I managed to to keep it up because I just love having these kind of conversations. I love blogging as well. I I had never realized that I I like to write. I've always been writing for like random silly things on a paper. Mm-hmm. I have three million notebooks at home. Um, <laughs> I mean, not very trees friendly. But I just love writing things down. And but as you said, it is time consuming as well and you have to prioritize. So I haven't been writing as much as I would like to. But that means that I can keep the podcast going and doing mm-hmm. some public speaking, which is what I love most. So definitely yeah. not seeing that as a failure is a good tip. Yeah, I think it's super important. And then I guess maybe I have a final tip, um, which is don't expect results straight away. It can be really disheartening, I think, when you put so much effort into something and you're not getting clicks or you're not getting views or you're not getting the interest that you wanted or were expecting. I think back to when I first started Girls Co. 2 and I think I would say maybe for two years, I maybe had one view a month. <laughs> like people just weren't clicking it. I wasn't very good at marketing it. But it was it was so worth all the time and effort because that's what's led me to Girls and Data. And that's what's led us to building something that 500 women want to sign up and deliver. So yeah, so persist on something. If you believe in it, uh, it will pay off. Yeah, that's a great tip. And the world we live in today is not very helpful from this, this perspective, right? So you see all these people are being on LinkedIn and looking, oh, look at, I've had 100,000 <laughs> downloads, 1 million downloads on my, yeah. So definitely understand that this is not going to happen in a week. Yeah, I think it's important to understand that behind maybe like every YouTuber or every influencer that looks like they've done it so easily, there's probably hours and hours of work behind that uh, that you just don't see. So don't compare yourself to that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, just persist. And with good consistent work, uh, things will just grow organically. Yeah, good consistent work is the key. Definitely. (laughs) These are all amazing tips. Thank you. I'm going to take some of them with me. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I needed to hear that. But this is still very time consuming. And I, I understand the passion and uh, the fulfillment you're getting out of it. But sometimes it is tough, yeah. especially when you have so much going on. How do you make sure it stays fun? I guess leaning back onto tip two is just is first of all picking the things that you find fun and that you are fulfilled by yeah I don't think I would have enjoyed blogging once a week to the same extent that I do creating lesson plans for schools so definitely do do things that you already find fun but yeah you're right you're still even if you're doing the things that you love you're still going to struggle sometimes and to that I just say take lots of breaks there's no doubt with a full-time job and a side project you're going to get burnt out just be kind to yourself and when you recognize that you factor in your breaks and it's not a failure to take a break it just means that you're taking some time and when you get back you're going to be producing better work definitely and that's something we keep forgetting because we feel like we have to be on all the time but Mm -hmm. taking some time to rest is very important I remember a few months ago listening to an episode of the Squiggly Kaya. I feel like it's been a while I haven't mentioned the Squiggly Kaya podcast on, <laughs> on this <laughs> podcast. Everyone knows I'm a big fan. Uh, <laughs> I should be like wearing Squiggly Kaya's t-shirt. Like, Listen <laughs> to the Squiggly Kaya podcast. They did an episode on stress tolerance. 
and that was episode 316. That episode, it wasn't what I expected to be fair when I started, but it was really great. And there were some really great tips on why stress might, well, a, a bit of stress is good for you, but being stressed mm-hmm. constantly, how that actually is not good for you at all. And they started sharing tips on how to manage these things. So when you were talking about burnout, it, it make, made me think about that a bit. Something I tend to do, and I know a lot of people do when they're stressed, is they're like, okay, let me go do some deep breathing and uh, try to relax, etc. And what they're saying in that episode, one of the tips, it's not the whole episode about that, um, but one of the tips that really stayed with me was that when you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed, the best thing you can do is get it out there. So do some activity that's going to really help you release the stress. So not sit and try to meditate straight away Mm -hmm. because it, it doesn't work. You have to do some sports or something very active. So for me, I would just go for a run, for example. And then once you've done that and all the stress hormones have settled down, then you sit and meditate and calm down. And I've been trying that since I listened to that episode. And I have to say it works so much better <laughs> than me sitting on my meditation you know, <laughs> and trying to breathe when I'm fuming inside. So yeah, definitely give that episode a, a listen if that's something you feel like you would benefit from. One last thing on on the side hustle. Uh, another question I get quite regularly is, where do I start and how do I find opportunities? You created opportunities for people who want to go and talk <laughs> into schools. So that's great. I'm definitely going to add a link to, to the website and where people can register to the, the show notes. Yeah. But how can one create opportunities if, if they want to, to do so? That's a good question. I have been very lucky to have a network, I think, that has allowed me to explore these things. Like, yes, I I started Girls Co. 2 on my own for two years, but it, it hasn't kind of materialized until I'd spoken to Roisin and still, until I started working with the Girls and Data team. So I think talk to people about the things that you want to do, and eventually you're going to meet someone that can help make that happen. I think is my best tip for it. And another tip is just to get started with things. Find something that you want to do. If you want to start blogging, then just start blogging. Like just starting with the expectation that you're going to put in that good, consistent work. And I think the opportunities will start coming to you. Yeah. Roshin is a super connector. <laughs> I can't believe how many projects she she helps out. It's crazy. <laughs> Um, to close this episode, is there any content that you use in your career and personal development that you could share with us? I So maybe I read blogs a huge amount. Um, so I don't like writing them, but I love reading them. So I have a huge kind of repertoire of blogs that I love to read. And it got to the point where I just wasn't keeping up with it all. So I ended up, I made a Twitter bot that would listen to the RSS feeds of all of the different blogs that I was really interested in. And it will post a tweet every time a new blog's been written. So I'll plug that and that's data blogs I like. Not very imaginative, but that's the Twitter handle. And basically I get a notification on my phone every time a new blog that I've read before that I really liked comes up. I'm trying to think of some of my favorites. So there's AI Weirdness from Janelle Shane, which is a very good blog. It's very focused on creating some fun things from GPT models. 
If you're interested in security, Grace O'Halloran has a really amazing blog that I can put down. But yeah, all of these I I have plugged into my my bot, uh, which keeps me outdated. <laughs> this is amazing. You're going to have to teach me how to do these things. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Tori. It was a pleasure to chat with you today. Yes, thank you very much. I've had lots of fun. So thanks for inviting me. Thank you for listening to the Women in Data podcast. We will be back in a couple of weeks with a new guest. Until then, if you have two minutes, it would be great if you could leave us a rating or a review as it helps not only to make the podcast more visible, but also to enhance the content. If you don't want to miss the next episode, Follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We are also on LinkedIn. And if you wish to, you can even register to the community for free. All you have to do is head to womenindata.co.uk. Have a great day.